It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. Two-Minute Drill, presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paint. Open under for Taylor. Showtime. Puts it down. Owen Mackey. Roberts, three-quarter court. He buried it. And it's good. Let's go, Larry. What do we got? Happy Monday, my friend. What a weekend in Region 9 athletics, as per usual. Oh, we got Sambo, right? Yes. Okay, go ahead, Sambo. What are your thoughts on Region 9 hoops sporty? Well, uh, Mackey went off against Pineview. That was a game that I thought would be a little bit closer. I mean, it was at the jungle the first time they played at Pineview, and Pineview won by three. Snow Canyon wins this time. They move up to eight. That is the prize spot. You want to be in that top eight to get a bye, and that was Snow Canyon's goal, and they got the win when they needed to. And if you look at the RPI, they are just about a fraction of a decimal point behind Green Canyon, who's seven, Cottonwood, who's six, Bear River, Bear River, excuse me, who's fifth. So upward mobility even further for Snow, Snow Canyon. If they keep playing the way that they're playing. I mean, they're D'ing people up, Larry. And Owen making six threes, he can score 30 without making one three. He made six of them. And when that's happening, it's just like this. Nobody can beat this team. Now, Snow Canyon's got Dixie later on this week on a Friday here in Southern Utah. Looking forward to the mat- that matchup. That will be at Snow Canyon as well. Eli Allred went off for Desert Hills. Weird game in H-Town a little bit. Following this one in real time, I wasn't at it, but it was close. Hurricane battled. It was a great game. Allred went for 33. He also made six threes for the Thunder. Desert Hills is 15th right now in the RPI. They're right behind Crimson Cliffs, who's 14th. Crimson Cliffs got the win against Cedar one convincingly 68-51 McKay Linquist also had six threes. So 18 threes between Linquist, Mackey, and Allred on Friday night. Pretty dang good. Region 9 girls hoops tomorrow. We've got Cedar at Snow Canyon. That's the number two team in the RPI. Snow Canyon versus the number three team, Cedar. The first time these two played each other, it was like a six-point game. We're going to be at it tomorrow. You can listen on ESPN 97.7, our ideal home and auto paint game of the week on a Tuesday night in southern Utah. And the girls' tournament last year was tremendous. There were so many good games in that tournament. And a lot of the stars are back this year. So we're looking forward to being up there covering it at UVU this year. And excited about tomorrow's game. Um... Last two times the or excuse me, last time Cedar played Snow Canyon, Snow Canyon made like seven threes. Hamlin had twenty points. Joey Jensen had fifteen points. And it was a great game. If you look at if you look at Jensen, Hamlin, and Kelly Howard, just those three on Snow Canyon. Those three are averaging about nine steals a game for the Warriors. <laughs> so they are just relentless. That full-court press, the half-court trap, they generate so many turnovers, most of them live ball turnovers, that then turn into points for Olivia Hamlin, who is in a battle right now with Springer up at Ridgeline for the 4A MVP, in my opinion. We did a deep analysis on that, I think, last week, Larry, right? Olivia Hamlin is shooting 58% from the field this season. Ridgeline is number one in the RPI in part because their opponent's winning percentage is about 10 points higher 
than Snow Canyons. There are only two losses, I think, are to out-of-state schools that I don't know too much about. Snow Canyon's only got the one loss. Cedar is 7-2 and two in region and 15-4 and four overall. So this will be a ball game. We're looking forward to it. Carrick Segmiller will be leading our coverage tomorrow at Snow Canyon High School. Bucks Ace Hardware pregame show starting right around 6.50 on ESPN 97.7. Your home of Region 9 Athletics. And uh, signing day on Wednesday will be all over it. Utah Tech throwing like a signing day party at their facility. A chance to go and meet the coaches and the new coaches that they just announced a week or so ago with Coach Anderson. So that'll be awesome. Coach Anderson's big selling point taking over the program is the recruiting ability. And I'm excited for his first official signing day at Utah Tech. And obviously following all the local high school kids putting ink to paper on a Wednesday as well, Lawrence. Always love signing day in Southern Utah. Even though to open the show, I was talking about how signing day ain't what it used to be and the divorce rate in college football is, you know, 70-something percent. For the for the quarterbacks, it's close to 70 percent. Other positions, it's a, little, it's a little bit lower as far as leaving the program you initially start with. Um, and so... Around the country, when the kid's putting the hat on and he's committing to Florida or he's committing to, it's like, who gives a crap? You're gone after this year if things don't go right or anywhere you go. Or if you do good and you're at a mid-level program or a lower-level program, you're gone. You're going to leave. <laughs> well, we're celebrating that we're going to have you for a few months, I guess. But um, let's hope that Utah Tech and SUU, for example, can hold on to their uh, players for longer than one season. Thank you, Lawrence. Anything else, pal? No. On that on that regard, you're looking forward to signing day, right? Yes. Very good. Me too. Next topic. Sport hall. Sports, 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 sports. Precip line pass back to Slazinski down the lane. Rejected by Fusini Traore. There's the breakout and the lay-in by Spencer Johnson. Yeah, it was awesome, man. It was, uh, you know, just a, a testament to um, our resiliency and our maturity as a team that, man, we, we hit the shots that we needed to hit and we got the stops we needed. And, um, yeah, super fun. How about those BYU Cougars? Will they finish in the top five of the Big 12 sport hole? Mm, good question, Sambo. That was Spencer Johnson after the win in Morgantown on Saturday. Will they finish in the top five of the Big 12? That would be a freaking miracle. And it's possible. Finishing in the top five of the Big 12. It's possible. I mean, they've got Oklahoma, who they can beat. They've got Kansas State, who they can beat. They can beat pretty much anybody except Kansas and, and probably Houston. If I were to go through the rest of their schedule, Oklahoma at Oklahoma's tough. It's hard to win the game games on the road, but Oklahoma's near the bottom of the Big 12, and you just went to West Virginia and beat them, a team that beat Kansas at home and beat Texas at home and beat since So... That's impressive. I don't want to poo-poo this win. I would never poo-poo this win against West Virginia, even though they no longer have Huggy Bear as their coach. But Pope went in there, and he outbigged them. Traore was dominant. Traore had 24 points, and his efficiency was great. 8 of 12 or 8 of 14 or something from the field. 
You outshot them on the road. You made 13 threes or whatever they made. And you only turned the ball over eight times. And so college basketball, like I'm watching um, Utah State going to San Diego State. There's just zero. There's a snowball's chance in in uh, heck, Larry, that Utah State's going to win that game because they're on the road. And San Diego State's won 10 in a row against Utah State in San Diego State. And they won 17 in a row um, in the Mountain West at home. Just like Kansas is a million and oh in their last million games at Fog Allen. It's hard to win on the road. So anytime BYU in conference goes and wins, it's impressive. And they won by doing a bunch of stuff you normally don't do well on the road, which is make your threes, don't turn the ball over, and bring your defense with you. And you dominated them down low with your undersized big. So very impressive. I've been effusive with my praise for Mark Pope. And now if you're BYU, you've got to recalibrate. you got to recalibrate, Larry. You're having this great year. Yes. And you've got to say, we did not expect this. We were gauging maybe three or four wins in conference. We're now... Four, or we're now 500 in conference with a chance to have a winning record in conference with a chance to finish in the top six potentially. Lenardi's got us as a five seed right now. We've got to recalibrate. A success now is winning a tournament game. Not just going to the tournament, but winning a game. Uh, Mark Pope's been one time in his few years at BYU, and it was the 2020-21 season where they were a sixth seed and lost to UCLA in the first round. Had COVID not canceled the 20 season, they would have gone there, and that was probably the best team he's had until maybe this one. So you got to win a conference game at this point because they are uh, one of the best shooting teams in the whole dang country. Um... So congratulations. This must be uh, fun for BYU fans. Just a fun dang season. Because you have no expectations. Zero. You came into this season, you got nothing. And now you're winning. And you're sticking it to everybody. That's got to feel good. Uh, Utah beat Colorado uh, 73-68. Utah slated to be a nine seed still, according to uh, Joey uh, Brackets. Who gives a crap? Yes. Um... Gabe Madsen's been on a tear. He doesn't miss, especially at the Huntsman. Uh, I talked about San Diego State, uh, Utah State. I fell asleep in the second half of this game, Larry. San Diego State has like four of their best guys back from a from a year last year where they went to the national title. One of their dudes transferred to Arizona inexplicably. How do you leave? I know it's NIL money, but how do you leave a team you went to the national title with with all that talent coming back, just so you can go kiss the ring of a prestige program because they're throwing a bunch of money at you. Forget Arizona. I don't want them to do well this year. I'm still rooting for San Diego State. Mount West is a good conference. Utah State still, uh, what, 7-2 and two in conference. Arguably still the top team. Nobody wins at San Diego State. They just have too many. Um, the Aggies will beat them at, at the Spectrum, but um, San Diego State just has defenders. They're just all over the place. They still got that Trammel kid who was at Seattle U a couple years ago. And they just defend the crap out of you. Um, and Utah State didn't make any threes. False left played a good game. 
and Osibor played pretty good, but didn't make enough shots. You got to make 10 threes on the road if you're going to win. They only made six or something. And then uh, UT Arlington beat Utah Tech 87-66, Larry. And Utah Tech did all the things. 18 turnovers. Got bullied in the paint. Lost the points of the paint battle 38-24. to They only had 10 team assists. 19 of 31 from the free throw line, 61%, and only 37% from the field. So it's been a r- I know they beat UTRGV, but it's been a tough last five games for Utah Tech. They do have a get-right game against SUU at home. Pack the Burns Thursday against the, uh, the big-time rival up to SUU. Yes. That'll be a big one. All right, Lawrence, let's do... Oh, we got Katie. We, we're going to do two reports, a show uh, from Katie Rosen. Rosen, one first hour, one second hour from now on, right, Lawrence? Yes. She's requested more time. All right, Katie. Uh, from our national news desk, here's uh, Katie Rosen. Rosen, take it away. Thanks, guys. This show is like the Grammys. Woke. From the Sportal National News Center on Bluff Street, Katie Rosen Rosen, the father of Kansas City Chiefs star quarterback Patrick Mahomes, was arrested Saturday night in Tyler, Texas, on suspicion of driving while intoxicated. According to online jail reports, police said they chased him off the edge of the highway and he broke contain, but they were able to force him out of bounds for a loss of his driver's license. Caitlin Clark and Iowa climbed back to number two in the Associated Press Top 25 Women's Basketball Poll Monday as the star guard moved within. Striking distance of the NCAA career scoring record, she reminds me of a young me, said Shaquille O'Neal. Steve Belichick has accepted the University of Washington defensive coordinator job. Sources confirmed to ESPN at his introductory Uh. press conference, Steve Belichick said, we're on to Rutgers. Today's Sport Old National News is brought to you by Lawrence's mom. From the Sport Old National News sub desk on Bluff Street, I'm Katie Rosen Rosen, ESPN 97.7. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> How about Washington? Jed Fish getting Pete Carroll's kid to call his offense and Bill Belichick's kid to call his defense. Dipping into, Fish is dipping into his NFL networking. And we love Fish on this program. I hope he does really well in the Big Ten, even though he abandoned uh, Arizona. Carroll was at, uh, uh, Brennan Carroll was at Arizona with Fish, and Steve Belichick was coach, was a defensive consultant or something. For, no, he, he was the defensive play caller for the Patriots, right, Larry? Yes. For the last few years, and their defense wasn't the problem. So I always kind of root for guys who are silver spooners, um, who are shadow lurkers. You know what I'm saying? The Eli Mannings of the world, who you are, the uh, Gerald Wilkinsons of the world, because you had to exist within the shadow of your dad or in Eli's case, Peyton, or in Ronnie James's case, LeBron. And I kind of root for those poor bastards because they're so screwed in life. And for them to persist, and now uh, Steve Belichick is leaving the bosom of his father and going out to make a name for himself, I'm rooting for him. Most people don't. Most people say, no, he's a, it's nepotism, and he's got the last name, and that's the only reason. And I'm saying that's true, but if he breaks out on his own and has the courage to go out and fail... 
outside of his dad's stewardship, then more power to him. I think it's hard to probably hard to overcome being a Belichick in a football world or a Manning or a, you know, Arch Manning. Heck, Peyton Manning with Archie as being his dad, right? That that nepotism, or that I shouldn't call it nepotism because it's all merit-based, but that's, uh, the Manning name is, that's a hard name to have, and to do well with it, despite the pressure and expectation, is impressive. Right, Larry? Yes. What's your last name? Do you have a last name? No. All right, great. Great job, uh, Katie. We'll have her again uh, second hour, top of the fifth. Top of the fifth inning. Thank you, Lawrence. Op ed or op meh. Good night and good luck. All right, op ed or op meh is brought to you by our good friends at uh, Navage. <laughs> Go ahead, Lawrence. Or go ahead, Sambo. Sorry. Op-ed or op-meh. Clay Travis on OutKick writing, quote. Mm-hmm. I believe investors are going to want to own the whole of college football, not just individual teams. Op-ed or op-meh. Sporty. Mm. This is Clay Travis on OutKick.com talking about the future of college football. And what he does is he says, look, look at the NFL. Look at the money they're bringing in. $12 billion or whatever on their TV deal. College football is bringing in two. Two million. Two, two billion, excuse me. Two billion dollars. And so he's saying the future of college football is a model like the UFL. Where some big investor comes in and either A, buys the whole Power Five or the whole SEC and Big Ten buys the league like a Vince McMahon type, sans the sexual assault, and says, I own this league. The other model is individual investors come in and basically buy the individual entities. Somebody buys Alabama. Somebody buys not the school, but just the football program. The reason why this is an op-meh, Larry. Well, let me build the suspense. This is an op-meh, Larry is because I hate it. What makes college football special is the variance, the tradition. That's what dictates success. Even in today's world where there's NIL money and there's the transfer portal, the, the, the kids are making their decisions based on the cash that these schools are able to generate. Each school is is accountable or responsible for having either a good collective or a, a good booster department that goes out amongst the fans or the alumni and generates cash so they can go out and buy players to play at Utah or BYU or Alabama. It's all based on the tradition and the history of the program. That's who's most interested in, in, in donating the money is the alumni and the NIL collectives, right? So even though it's not just based on, oh, Bud Wilkinson coached at Oklahoma and they won 50 games in a row and all the hit, the Heisman Trophy winners and look, Bob Stoops and the the uh, Boomer uh, Schooner and all this stuff. That's what it used to be about. That's why a kid would make his decision to go to Oklahoma. Now it's that mixed with the money Oklahoma generates. What inevitably will happen if you allow Vince McMahon, a Vince McMahon type, a Mark Cuban type, a whoever, 
to come in and purchase Power 4 football, and I think Travis was talking specifically about Big Ten and SEC football, is these these business guys are going to look around and say, look, I need balance here. I need a salary cap. I need to help Vanderbilt. I need to subsidize Ole Miss. You know, we need to have some sort of balance. I want equity. I want parity. And I'm going to basically hand out, give handouts to these weaker programs. That's what I'm against. The dream in college sports, or in this case, college football, is you can start as a crappy school, a crappy program, but if you hire the right guy and you do well enough and you build a dang program out of your own grit and vision and that stuff, that's how you get good. The NFL is all randomized. You have a draft, you have... You know, you don't have no, you don't have nearly as much control over your, the players you're able to get. All the teams have the exact same money. They have the exact same formatted uniforms, and all the stadiums are cookie cutter and the same. There's no bands. There's no history. Or there's history, but there's no tradition. Near as much as college football. And the second you say we're going to have one entity who buys college football, not just the NCAA. But some billionaire who owns all of these schools for college football, that's when you lose a lot of the variance, a lot of the uniqueness, and the the fun of a program like Missouri, who nobody's ever cared about, just hiring the right guy and building something. That's exciting. If all these programs are just all equal and you flip a coin every year, who's going to go to the playoff? That fun is taken out of college football. The handouts aren't going to be good. I don't want that. And when you allow more access to the playoff like they're doing this next year and 12 teams can make it, that's automatically going to allow a team like, for example, Missouri, or like a team like Utah or BYU to get into the playoff. And that enhances their program, and the the exponential growth that will happen is more teams are able to reach that highest level of making a playoff. The more parity and the more things are going to even out naturally, and the more you allow kids, even though I hate it, the more you allow kids to transfer, and the more you allow programs to raise money for themselves and go out and buy players, that sucks, but it all contributes to parity. You don't need a Roger Goodell type of guy to come in and own college football and say, I want to make Vanderbilt even with Alabama. I don't I don't want that. In pro football, that's fine. You want everybody even. You want a salary cap. You want a, a, a draft that's all even and all that stuff. Fine. That's the NFL. College football has always been about the program and the unique way they do it and the people they hire, that dictates your success. And they're, you know, that that is being taken away bit by bit with the new stuff going on. But op man, Larry. Do you agree? Yes. Yeah. Anything else on that? No. All right. What up, buddy? You're not very bright, are you? Andy versus Randy. Boom. As we do every Monday, we welcome in my twin brother, Randy, who gives us his constructive 
compliments about our program. What's going on? What up, buddy? How's it going? It's going good. Good. Like, uh, yeah, I like, uh, uh, I was surprised as you are how good BYU's playing hoops. This how year. about those Cougars? I know you've been, yeah, yeah. I know you've been um, hesitant or resistant to uh, give them their due, but. What? I, I, every day I. Well, you thought I'm they were going to be terrible. Hey, hey I thought yeah. they were going to be terrible, too. So I'm yeah, not killing everybody that. did. Pope's been amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, he he deserves a lot of credit. Um, yeah. I was wondering, you know, I was watching uh, Michael Porter Jr. talk about WNBA. He brought up oh boy. Uh, something you talked about, you know, last year or something about uh, the WNBA lower on their rims. Did yeah. you see this? Yeah. Yeah, I saw yeah. it. Yeah. It's offensive. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I think it's offensive to to. Oh, you do think people. it is offensive? I think. Well, I think it's offensive to to women's basketball players because uh, you've been playing you've been playing this game since you were you know a kid, and you've been playing on ten feet since you were ten years old, right? And now, just because some dudes don't think your games is is fun, they're going to tell you to well just just over the rim, just the WNBA, <laughs> just the WNBA. You've been playing this. It's like it's like. Well, it's like telling a golfer, you know, I'll watch you play if you play with a hockey stick. It's it's not just it's the, not. I'm it's, not talking about uh, non-professional. I'm just talking about WNBA. Well, they do play with a smaller ball, but they're used to shooting on ten foot rims. That's an insane, <laughs> such an insane uh, chauvinist thing to change oh yeah do do this crazy thing that completely changes yeah. your sport then i'll watch well it's not about um chauvinists it's about ratings well they don't need you to watch they, they, they do. don't need you to watch they need somebody to watch and all right well you're I'm an idiot si- as always yeah <laughs> okay all right all right <laughs> okay. thanks for calling all right we'll see you bye bye-bye twin brother randy there sport hall butch 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 all right, let's do topic number. <clears throat> you well, do you agree with me or Randy? You agree with me, right, Larry? Yes. I'm not. I'm saying that, and I think what Porter Porter is saying what something that I've said before, which is the WNBA. If if enough people are watching to sustain your league, and there aren't. Then is it a problem that the ratings are... Because high school has got a built-in audience. College has a built-in audience. People care about those two sports. They don't care about the WNBA. And they're not watching. And the losses of the WNBA are taken care of by the... The, the NBA takes the hit of that every every year. So I remember talking with Kate Fagan, who's a big WNBA person for ESPN, and just saying... Do you want to have your own league or do you want to lose money every year and be subsidized by the NBA? There's not an easy way to make money with the WNBA. Adam Silver's come out and said that. There's not some quick fix to this. What I am against is the WNBA's resistance to innovating and doing something. Bat, you know, scratching and clawing just like any league has to to survive. How many million call or uh, sub 
what's it called? Semi-pro football leagues have there been that have failed. A million of them. This UFL thing will fail in the next two years. It's just coming out. And the reason they fail is because they don't have an audience. And they've got to scramble to do things differently. And the Alliance Football League tried to do different stuff. But they were hustling to uh, maintain an audience of their own uh, merit. And the WNBA doesn't care to do that. And Caitlin Clark ain't going to help them do that. She'll help maybe a little bit, but she's not going to save the league. And uh, Asia Wilson hasn't. And Angel Reese won't when she goes. So the argument isn't about women's basketball. It's about the WNBA. And if the WNBA is interested in having its own league with long-term profitability and long-term stat without having to be subsidized by the NBA, they should be more willing to try things that might help attract a more general audience than whoever's watching it right now. So I think that's what Porter was saying. I wish we had the audio. We don't have the audio of Porter, do we? No. I mean, women's college, Matt, you watch the, you watch Iowa, and I know Iowa's an outlier because they've got the best player ever, but you watch most of these college teams and high school, they got great atmosphere and fans there watching their games. The WNBA doesn't until the finals. So the the unwillingness to uh, think about anything changing it. And I understand it would be offensive if you're a basketball player like this, these, this idiot guy's telling me I need to plan an eight and a half foot rim. That's insulting. I'm not going to do that. And it's like, yeah, I, that, I understand why you're insulted, but do you want a league to exist? If so, you've got to make, just like a restaurant has to make changes to, to try to attract customers, you've got to be willing to adapt. And if women dunking more is going to make your league survive for longer, I think the leaders of the WNBA should be more uh, willing to listen to that. Or they just keep taking money from the NBA. I guess, I guess if you don't want to stand on your own two feet as a league, then you don't have to listen to the customers or people who are watching. Right, Larry? Yes. Pandering local poll of the day. You know, a lot of people go to college for seven years. I know. They're called doctors. Okay, Hans Olsen asked, who's the best out of these three guys? David Spade, Adam Sandler, or Jim Carrey? What say you sport mm, hole? Great question. Well, let me tell you, Larry, let me give you the five movies that were the most quoted movies, comedy movies of my life. Number one is Ace Ventura. When Ace Ventura came out in 94 or whenever it came out. And Ace and Tom, what's his name? Jim Carrey was doing the the voice and the all righty then stuff. Every kid in the country, 12 to 18, was doing that crowd. That was that was the number one comedy of my lifetime. Even though if you go back back now, you're probably like, this is worse than I remember it. I watched it probably 10 years ago, and I thought, oh, I still love this show. That's number one. Number two, Tommy Boy. For me, 
Farley, Tommy Boy, Tommy Want Wingy, Fat Man a Little Coat, Tommy Boy in the 90s. Number three is the combo. Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, that Sandler stuff. Those two movies, for me, were every kid talked like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison for like seven years. Number four is Anchorman. Anchorman might be of the 2000s, the most quoted, annoyingly quoted movie in the history of movies. And then lastly, uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Right? Would you say that, Larry? Napoleon? Yes. Everybody was doing Napoleon, especially Mormons. Um, but of those three, now all three of those guys were represented in this list. I think you got it because I would say Spade's more of a sidekick, Larry. He's more of a side. I know he did a couple of his own in there, you know, Joe Dirt. I love Spade, but I'd say he's more of a, he's not a big headliner like Sandler and, and Jim Carrey. So I'm ruling, I'm taking Spade out. Then it's between Carrey and Sandler. I'm saying Carrey had, he had Ace, he had The Mask, he had Liar Liar, and then a bunch of crap. Everything was crap, and he's gone insane now. Sandler's done a bunch of crap, too, but he had Happy, and he had Billy, and he had Wedding Singer, which were all good. And I think his his influence is more enduring. I'm going with Adam Sandler out of those three. I mean, I don't know what's going on with Jimbo, but he is, you know, something's going on there. And uh, But we love them all. We love all those guys. Now, when they're bad, they're horrible. I mean, little Nicky with Sandler was, was, I didn't even see the whole thing of that. A lot of Jim Carrey stuff is unwatchable, but, uh, you know, Hans made the, made the list there. So I got to pick one of them. It's definitely Sandler. People hate Sandler. Women hate Sandler. Try to watch a Sandler movie with your wife. She doesn't want anything to do with it. All right. Next, uh, topic, Larry. What do we got? I, I live for radio and on television and podcast of the week. You watch wrestling? Yeah. What is that? You're out, you're out on wrestling? <laughs> Are you? What? What is this with you and wrestling? This goes back to being a kid. Yeah, I, I watched it when I was a kid too. <laughs> and, and then I realized it was fixed and I stopped watching. Podcast of the week is once again the Bill Simmons podcast. I find myself listening to this more now than I have in about a decade. Probably because I have to come up with something for this segment every week, Larry. And that was Larry David. And Larry David's mocking Bill Simmons, who's a big wrestling fan. And I don't watch wrestling anymore, but I did when I was in junior high. And... Well, what it reminded me of, Larry, was the when I was in... Let me tell you a story, Lawrence. Cue up the... Cue up the the fire. Do we still have the fireplace thing? No. Well, when I was in seventh grade and I was watching uh, Stone Cold and I was watching Kane and The Undertaker and Goldberg and uh, this was kind of pre-Rock, The Rock. Me and my friends did the Bathroom Brawlers Federation, and it was a, it was it was at school and. We would organize brawls in the bathroom. It was the only place you could go and brawl without anybody, without getting in trouble. 
Couldn't do it at recess. You couldn't do it in the hallway. So we would organize brawls to take place in the bathroom. We'd have a whole schedule. And every, and a kid, two kids knew that they, at, at 2.15, they were supposed to leave class and go meet in the bathroom. There would be a referee there. It's all sanctioned. <laughs> and they would brawl. And we'd keep records and who won. And they would be short fights. And then one of the stalls got destroyed. And the teacher said, something is happening. So kids are coming back to class with, with black eyes and bloody noses. And what the heck is happening in these bathrooms? And so they said, the kids can't go alone anymore to the bathrooms. Only as full classes. And teachers got to be present because something is happening. And so the Bathroom Brawlers Federation, my proudest moment, lasted about two days. Back in 1998. <laughs> so that that's my most fond memory of... My wrestling interest was I was obsessed with the, the WWF about back in the day and tried to take it to school. It didn't work out very well. I would say watching wrestling as a grown man, it's like watching a TV show. I mean, you're going to watch uh, the some of these reality shows. You may as well just watch wrestling, I guess. I mean, I don't watch it anymore, but I know grown men do. And... I don't want to be a snob and say don't watch wrestling anymore. All right, Larry, we got to wrap up, buddy. What do we got? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this week's Gus Johnson Award goes to... <clears throat> five on our Nets on Fire clock, 13-11. Campbell with the ball in the high post, gives back to Mackey. Mackey turns, squares deep three. Down the barrel from Owen Mackey, who has shown no hesitation. How about three triples in this quarter alone? Our very own Rustin Burnside is our winner of the $10 gift certificate to Island Grinds. He called the Snow Canyon victory over Pineview. Owen Mackey had six trays and 38 points. That was just one of them. So congratulations, Rustin. Enjoy your poo-poo chicken at Island Grinds. Quick break. Back with more here in the Sport Hole with uh, Rustin Burnside, Andy Thompson, and Lawrence the Pigskin Picking Robot. We'll be right back. 